Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Okay, friends, so I have Vinny Tolman here today. He's the author of Life After Death, My Journey to Heaven and Back. A little backstory, it says at the age of 25, Vinny Tolman was pronounced dead and put in a body bag. Nearly an hour later, he miraculously came back to life, and this is his story. So, what a heck of an intro. Hi, Vinny. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, hey, Cheyenne. It's nice to be here. I bet it is, especially on the 20-year anniversary this month of yes. your death anniversary, is what you said. My death, yeah, my death anniversary was on the 18th, and then, and then my re, re, reawakening was the 21st. So, so I uh, went in the hospital, uh, you know, essentially newly revived on the 18th, and then uh, I actually woke up out of coma on the 21st. So, yeah. So they, and I know we're getting ahead of the story, so. After this question, we'll definitely like start the story from the beginning. But you, they were able to revive you in the ambulance after you had been in the bag, paperwork done, like lights off in the ambulance. But then you were in a coma for three days. So you still, yep. like, you still got to when you woke up, you remembered. Like, was linear time a thing to you? Did you realize that you had no? Been so, down for so three time, days? time. I learned from my experience is is one of the rules only for here. And it's not a rule outside of here, outside of the earth, outside of the earth space. Um, and that's why it's so relative to our gravity and our space here. There's other time and other places uh, kind of like ours, but, but specifically our time is just for here. So once we leave here, there is no time. You know, somebody could say, hey, were you gone for three weeks? And I'd say, yeah. And then it seems like it, you know, and then they'd say, well, were you gone for three days? And I'm like, no, it had to be way more than three days because it felt very much longer. It felt like a very long journey that I was on. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it felt like time was definitely not relative there uh, as I stepped outside the, the time stream or the time time paradigm. That's something that I hear in a lot of people that it, whether they have, you know, a near death experience, a death experience. Um, even you could get into like ayahuasca and plant medicine. Um, they all mm -hmm. will say the same thing that like linear time is literally only for us. And as soon as you get out of it and you kind of observe above it, um, it really expands your mind and realize how truly limited we kind of are in our perception of what else is out there and everything else that is going around us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is. It's, it's just one of the rules for here for Earth life. That's it. Mm. I love the way you talk. I'm already just like, I, I'm just going to let you start the story from the beginning <laughs> and just tell us, you know, first and foremost, like, how did you die? Like, how did this even begin? Well, I joke that this is like the most exciting, boring story you'll ever hear because to me it's boring. It's, it's what I lived and I, I express it almost every day now, um, you know, for years. But I'll tell you, I, it all starts with this supplement. Um, me and a buddy of mine, we were amateur bodybuilders. This was back in 2003. And we were getting a hold of this supplement at all the, the local, you know, vitamin shops and GNCs and such. And all the local shops were sold out and they were sold out for months. So we went online to buy some. 
But what we didn't realize is the, the, the liquid supplement that we were taking, that if you buy it from overseas, it arrives as a concentrate. And, you know, uh, whereas the stuff we were buying in the United States was a 95% watered-down solution. So it was much, much stronger what you were buying online. You know, it could have made gallons of this stuff, and we got one little bottle of it. And we took our normal little bottle cap of this liquid, and instantly we both knew uh, something was wrong from the second we took it. So we, we started to feel this cold chill come over our chest and our thighs. And uh, there was a little a Dairy Queen about two blocks down the street from my buddy's place. So we, we hopped in his car and went down there. We barely made it there. He was starting to doze off. I was like shaking him up, trying to make, wake him up. Uh, we pulled in. He barely puts it in park. I don't even remember if, if either of us closed our doors of the car. I went running into the, the bathroom, and I went in first. I went into the bathroom and locked the door because it was a single-use bathroom. And my buddy went into the, the dining area, collapsed on one of the booths, and started to vomit. And so a manager came, saw him, called 911. They, got, they came and got him and took him away. About 45 minutes later, a customer asks the manager, hey, can you open that bathroom? It's been locked for about an hour. So the manager goes over, knocks on the door, no answer. He opens the door and finds my dead body right there on the ground. He, he calls 911 for a second time that day, and they get medical services there. They, they attempt resuscitation, but I had aspirated, so I had fallen on my back, and I had vomited, so I suffocated on my own vomit. Um, they, they tried to bring the body back. They couldn't. They put it in a body bag. They put it in the back of an ambulance, and they began to just process uh, scene paperwork or paperwork to process that body. Now, this team of medics, they, they had two veterans, and they had one rookie. So these two veterans were the primary technicians running everything. The rookie was kind of observing and grabbing, grabbing tools and bags and stuff as they were trying to assess the body. Um, so he's just, just kind of observing everything. But I can hear. So where I'm at now is I can actually see everything that's happening, but I'm watching from above. I can hear everybody's thoughts, literally. Every, if you have a thought in that area, I could hear it. I could hear it as loud as someone just talking to me. And I could hear the thoughts of this rookie medic. He felt so horrible that this, this guy was, was lost, and he felt that he got in this, this, this job, this career, to make a difference for people like this. And he felt that he, he didn't get a chance. He felt that he was kind of put on the back burner with the duties. And he sat there and stared in the back of this ambulance. He sat there and stared at the body and, and just felt horrible. He wanted to do something. He wanted to make a difference. Well, about 45 minutes later, after they bagged the body, they are pulling away from the scene. And as they pull away, he starts having kind of a prayer or a, a special meditation that he was doing about I wish I could make a difference. I really am doing this to make a difference. And as he did, he got a very strong intuition or premonition that this one's not dead. Um, at first, he disregarded it, thought it was his imagination, and then it came again for a second time. And after the second time, that was enough for him. He was going to go ahead and, and attempt to just check if there was any signs of life. So he, he takes these straps off of this body, now, when they, when they strap a dead body onto a gurney, they strap it all over. 
and and you would never strap a live body that way mm-hmm. the way they had so he went ahead and began to unstrap the body he unzipped the the bag and was feeling around the neck and jaw area for any type of pulse he then went under the arm didn't feel any pulse he then went to the inner thigh to, to feel for a pulse. And when he went to the inner thigh, there was a little spark between me and him. It was really weird. It was as if somebody shocked me, as if somebody, like, you know, was doing static electricity, rubbing their feet on the carpet and shocked us. Oh, wow. And that's what it, that's what it felt like to me. It shocked me where I was, and it shocked him because he reacted the same moment that I did. And that was enough of a sign for him that there was something there. There was something there. And so he, he himself began the process, the, the arduous process of bringing this body back. Part of it was bringing the heart back. And so he hooked up the, the defibrillator, one of these machines that shocks the heart. He connects it to the body. The alarm goes off and he shocks the body. There's no heartbeat. Um, at this point, the other two medics realize what he's doing and they start like chewing him out. They're telling him he's going to get fired, that he, he's breaking protocol, that he will lose his job on the first week on the job. That's horrible. But he does it anyway. He goes for a second round of shocks. And on the second round of shocks, there was a single heartbeat, and then it was flatline. But that single heartbeat was enough that the other two medics kind of shut up for a minute while he went up for a third round of shocks. And on the third round of shocks, he actually got a steady, faint heartbeat. But it was steady and it was consistent. And so at that point, he, he had the, the heart going again. And um, one of the, you know, blessings of all this is the, the, one of the effects of that supplement in overdose like we had had is it does tend to thin the blood. And so that, that was a, a blessing in disguise, you know, even though it was kind of a curse at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was a blessing in disguise that it... It allowed that heart, once it kicked back up, it started delivering oxygen to certain areas, not to all areas. It actually took quite a while for the, the heart and the, the, the blood system to start bringing oxygen to everywhere, including the brain. So the brain was still oxygen-deprived. It was dead. I was brain dead. And um, for three days, essentially, after they turned the body in. Um, so when all this happened, though, it was really a beautiful thing, too that when the heart started, they were one half block away from a trauma center, an emergency hospital that had fully staffed with nobody to serve. It was a brand new hospital, so it was perfect for them to get this case and uh, start working on the body. Um, at that point, though, I'm, I'm not wanting to be around anymore because I'm watching this body go through this, this re, uh, like reawakening or, or coming back to life. It's not a pretty thing if you've ever witnessed something like this. The, the body actually went through all sorts of seizures and was foaming at the mouth, all sorts of gross things coming out of the body. Um, it, I didn't want to even look at it. It was disgusting to me, and so I turned away from it to see this really amazing um, warmth and light. And here's standing this man. He's all dressed in white. He's got a long white beard. He's got long white hair. He's kind of like the old Hollywood used to make God look like, you know, in movies. And so as soon as I saw him, I thought, well, well, maybe Hollywood got it right. You know, I kind of joked that. And I'm like, are you God? 
and and uh, and he just laughed. He he like laughed. He's like, "No, son, I'm not God. I'm I'm your guide, and I'm here to help you go wherever you want to go. And you can call me Drake." So I started to call him Drake as my guide, and and he helped me go where I wanted to go. He let me know I could go either back to my body, or I could go with him. And there was just no question. I wanted to go with him for sure. I didn't want to go to my body. I, and, it, and I even remember specifically saying, I want to go wherever you come from. And he explained that where he comes from is my home, is where I originally came from, and that I could go back with him to my home. And so we began our journey. It was a, a beautiful journey. It was, he explained right off the bat, that it was not just going to be a physical distance journey where we're moving from one point to another, but it was going to be an elevated journey, meaning that I would have to elevate my understanding and elevate my love energy. I, can, I like to call it frequency. I, I would have to elevate my love frequency to be able to go with him. Because if I just you know, kind of dumped right into heaven the way I was, I would, I would not synchronize with the love that is there. And, and it would essentially rip me apart. It would, I wouldn't be able to be there. Um, so for me to be there in a protective space, I would have to really raise my love energy to get there because uh, he explained that the entire existence there runs off of love, uh, that love is the, the founding energy of that space. And that for me to get there, I had to really embody a new version of love. And I, I almost felt a little cocky at this point because I was raised Christian, evangelical Christian, and so I thought, I already know how to get into heaven. I know everything I need. I'm baptized. I'm saved. Um, you know, I, I went through my whole little uh, Christian list <laughs> of everything that I needed to do to be in heaven, and he, and he looked at me lovingly and said, that he said, I love that you've done all this, that there's more that we need to understand and embody to get you there. And, and he helped, understand, helped me understand that, that, you know, the Christian belief system is, is very beautiful and it really connects you to God and to the universe, to the, the creator of all. But there's more for me. That I, for me, I had to learn more. And uh, so there, there I went. I began my journey of this. I, we call it the 10 principle journey because as I'm sharing this experience and we're documenting it, um, until we actually wrote this experience down, we didn't realize there was 10 very distinct principles that I was taught. Um, and so before that, I never I would bring out certain aspects of my experience, but I didn't call it like the 10 principles. But literally, there's 10 very distinct principles that I was taught in the process of getting to heaven and experiencing heaven and being there in heaven. So, um, yeah, that, there we began our... Our, our journey of what I call the 10 principles. And as, as kind of odd as it is to say, uh, I thought the first principle would be love, but, uh, but Drake kind of sm like smirked at that and said, no, love is important, and it is what all of this is built on. But the most important principle for me is authenticity. And so that was the first thing I had to learn. He helped me understand that you know, when we enter this life, we come in very authentic. And we, when we leave this life, we leave fairly authentic with who we are. And it's, it's all the in-between space. We tend to not be authentic. We tend to build up different 
aspects to our personality, different aspects to who we are, so that we have a, a certain aspect of ourself that we allow our, around our family and maybe around our church or faith, faith group um, or maybe around our work group, around our social group, that we have these different aspects of who we are and that we're not that. We're not all these different aspects. We are the, the core. We are who we were when we came in this world. We are who we are going to be when we leave this world. And that somehow we have to peel away all of those personas and facets of who we are and let them fall away and let us look in the mirror. Let us see who we really are below all that. Essentially, how we were when we were like four or five years old, that's how we are really inside. And and so you have to kind of peel all away all the, these fake protective personas because we do put these up almost in protection, hoping that others don't judge us. And so that was the first principle is understanding that I was my authentic self inside and I need to peel away all the outside layers that I had allowed to be built up. And that was hard for me. That was I, I didn't realize that I, I had a survival mechanism inside me that was constantly allowing myself to be almost be a chameleon, be whatever I needed to be so that I would fit in with whoever I was with. So I um, began that process, peeling away those layers of who I was and, and realizing that I was this, essentially that five-year-old self of who I was as a kid deep within all of that, and to embody that with honor and love and without judgment. And that's where I began to start to move. We literally started to move at that point from where I was and started going towards this great space that I call heaven. Um, next was the, the understanding. We still weren't to love yet. The next principle I had to understand was the purpose of life, and that is... You know, the purpose of life is that we we don't come here to the earth school to be judged. We come here to the earth school to learn. So the first thing I had to learn was that we are in a classroom and not a courtroom. And that if there is any judgment, the only judgment that there is is from oneself. It is not an outside judgment from God to us. It's a judge from inside out, looking at ourselves and recognizing our own weaknesses, our own insecurities and pitfalls and judging oneself from within. And, and once I could accept that, accept that life here was just a school for us to learn how to better create and make decisions. Um, then I was able to move on to the love, um, aspect. Um, the most important one to me is, is love still because it is the, the ether energy or the energy that allows all the, all of this to work and to function. And I specifically had to learn how to love everyone. And that includes um, those who had harmed me, um, predators of the past. Um, but the hardest one that I had to love was myself. So part of, part of that love was to understand that, you had to love yourself despite any weaknesses you knew you had, despite any past um, mistakes or sins that you had, and and potentially any future sins that you're maybe going to have because of your insecurity or weakness. Um, and and so I had to 
I had to begin to love myself in a way that I never had before. And the only way I knew how to do that was to learn from this Drake. The way that he allowed love to be on me and, and, and through me was so unconditional and so pure. And not for any reason. There was no reason for that love other than I existed. And that was kind of hard for me. That was, that was a hard one for me because I felt love was always something you earned. Love was something you, you made happen because of something you did. And that it, it just wasn't freely given for no reason. And that's, that's where I began to do some healing. I began to do some healing from my life here that, you know, being raised the way I was, I, I was raised in a bit of a, an abusive home and, and I had kind of some little black holes and some, some energy hiccups going on inside of me. I had to flush those. I had to heal those as I was going on this journey of love. And that brought me to the fourth principle, which is to listen to your inner voice. Listening to your inner voice is really important because that voice essentially is the voice of God within all of us. And that we all have it, whether we accept it or not, we all do have it. And, you know, when we sit there and think of a friend and then that friend reaches out to us, they call us, they text us, they, you know, or we see them right after we're thinking about them. That's, that's that voice of God, that, that inner intuition, that inner voice that is there guiding us along, connecting us to each other, helping us serve, love, and care for each other in, in better ways. And I needed to, even though I was going towards heaven, I knew I personally needed to, have, to foster a better relationship with that voice, with the God voice inside of me. And first things first, I had to recognize that it was there. Second, I, I went back and I started to look at the different times in my life where I just knew things. And there was no explanation for how I knew things. I just knew things, you know, where to go, um, what to do, how to do things. And that, that all was that God voice, that inner intuition. Some people might call it conscience or higher self but it is that God voice inside of all of us. And, you know, listening to that inner voice is very important, but additional to that, recognizing it, giving it confirmation that that, that was what you heard and that's, that is what you followed. That's what strengthens it. So that, that was the, the step that was kind of hard. That was number four. Then, then number five is use technology responsibly. That, you know, 2003, this is when this happened, um, technology wasn't such a big deal. Most technology was at your PC. Like you were, you were mostly going to your PC for you know your your home computer to access technology. There wasn't a ton of technology on handheld devices so much yet. Um, it was beginning, and it was just at the beginning. But I was shown uh, the addictive nature of technology, and I was shown how important it is for us, even back then in two thousand three and especially now, to foster a positive relationship with technology and recognize what it is. That technology is a tool, just like a hammer. And you could build a house with a hammer, or you could hurt someone with a hammer. Um, the problem is, if you're not sure what technology is doing for you, it's most likely hurting you. 
we have to be very careful about how we use it. And I was taught um, essentially a principle called the hour of power, where the first 30 minutes when you wake up and the last 30 minutes before you go to bed, this is the most pristine time for you as a being to make sure that you put sacred nature, you put sacred things in this space. And I don't care if you follow God or you don't follow a God, you still want to make sure you put sacred nature or divine things, things that are important to you in that space. And whatever you put in that space, that's, that is going to be your heart space. That's going to be the space that you start framing your life with. Um, and so if you put news there, you're going to be constantly energized with negative energy. If you put sports there, it's almost like worshiping sports. If you put stocks or financial information there or, or um, ETFs or, or NFTs or any of these, these modern things that a lot of us follow and we track and where's this, where's this, uh, you know, that's a, a space that we can easily put worship and that's what that is. So it's very important for us to understand that our power, we need to put good things there. And some examples of good things to put in your hour of power would be prayer, scripture study, Torah study, Quran study, whatever um, religion or theology you follow, put a holy script there, or put motivational or uplifting videos, YouTube's podcasts, really good podcasts there you could put. Um, there's a, there's uh, all sorts of good things you can put in that space that will help you connect to the creator or connect to your own inner divinity. And that's, that's really important for us to understand, but also to understand that, that technology is what it is, that it's just a tool. So don't worship it. Don't let it overtake your life and, and honor your hour of power, because if you can honor your hour of power, it's putting you in control and it allows you to start directing where your life goes. And essentially that brought me to my next next one, which is um, releasing prejudice. So releasing prejudice was funny to me because I thought I wasn't prejudiced at all. Really felt that I was probably one of the least prejudiced people on earth. I was raised with two adopted Korean sisters, and I was always out trying to defend their honor. Anybody who said anything about race or being um, Asian or Oriental or any of these things, I was always the first one to jump in front of their face and say, you have a problem, my sister, you know? And, and so I felt that, um, you know, who I was, I was being this, uh, you know, very unprejudiced person. But in doing so, I was being very prejudiced against prejudiced people. And, and my guy, Drake, he showed me, he said, as I, I was being prejudiced against prejudiced people, I was joining their ranks because I was so prejudiced against them and that I needed to get myself to a point where I, I could understand a simple principle that victims create victims and hurt people hurt people. Meaning that most people that are prejudiced are that way because of being a victim of some sort. And it didn't even have to be a victim of that race or that whatever they were prejudiced against. Um, but that's how they were dealing with being that victim, was they were outwardly seeking to ostracize a certain group, a certain classification, whether it be race, religion, creed, lifestyle, whatever. But I, I began to understand that, that 
you know, broken people break other people. And, and unfortunately, you know, to, to end that cycle, you have to get in there and you have to love the broken person before they break another, uh, or even after to prevent them from breaking anyone else. And that was very enlightening to me that I had to get to a point where I even loved prejudiced people because I felt those were the least worth loving in life. I felt almost like God would just throw them away because they were evil, they were bad, they hated people for for how they lived or what they looked like or, you know, where they were born. I felt that that was the least in sync with this God energy, but yet that was a judgment of my part, not God's part, of course. So I had to I had to completely release that prejudice. And at this point, I actually started to slow down my progress because I had a hard time forgiving all of the rude, racist, you know, people that I had had contact with growing up. And I had to, I had to, I had to release that. I had to let it go. And not just that, I had to love them one by one in my own heart and understand that they themselves were broken in some way and that only through love could you heal prejudice. And so that, that was, that was very interesting for me. I, I began to understand this new energy of being this new energy of understanding how God loves us. And, you know, if we choose to pick one thing out that makes us not love another, then how important would it be that we don't do that? Uh, because that's essentially what God would have to do to us. Um, so it's important for us to not have that. And that, I was taught the principle of the pointed finger. This one's kind of cool. Um, since it's a podcast, I'll verbally describe it to you. But when you're pointing your finger at someone and you're saying that person is this or that, you're sending that negative energy or positive energy out to the person with your forefinger, and then your thumb that is pointing up to the sky is sending that energy up to the etherical or to God. And then if you point that pointed hand, that pointed finger, and turn it around, look at the backside or the inside of that hand, you'll notice there's three small fingers there pointing back at yourself. And so every time we say something negative or positive about someone else, we're sending that exact energy back on ourselves three times stronger. And this is, this is something that I don't think people understand nowadays because everybody's quick to cancel people. Everybody's quick to judge others. Everybody's quick to be a victim and to point blame at anyone but themselves. But when they're doing this energetically, when you're pointing blame at another, you're actually taking on three times that blame on yourself. Energetically, you are. And at the same right, when we go and we say, we point that finger and say, look at how amazing that person is. Look at what a great person, being, or, or way of being this person is. We are taking that energy on three times stronger on ourselves. So we have the opportunity with this life that what comes out or what goes out of us comes back into us. So what we send out comes right back. If we send out good, we get good. If we send out bad, we will get bad. So if we are a victim and we point the finger at someone else, we will get more opportunities to become a victim. If we are a victor 
and victorious with the way we act and we love and care about each other, we will get three times that energy back to ourselves. So if you're in one of these cycles of victimhood or, or pointing the finger, turn it around. Instead of pointing at the things that you hate and are hurting you or making your life hard, point at the things that are making your life easier, better, or making your life um, able to endure. Point out these things, and this is going to make this positive energy three times stronger for you. But then it, that leads me to the next principle, which is exercise the power of creation. And with this, I didn't understand this. I thought, you know, I told Drake, how are we creating? And he explained, well, you can create a building, right? And I'm like, well, not really. I, I don't think so. And he and he's like, no, listen, if you wanted to create a building, you could go seek out an architect. Together you could design it. Then you can hire contractors and you can start building this building. But it all began with the thought, the idea of creating the building. And he, he showed me how our thoughts are magic wands for us. That's how we can create in this world. And if we can master our thoughts, we can master our world. We can master our environment. We can master our version of the world, which we want to call that our reality. So it begins with our thoughts. If we can master our thoughts, then we can master our habits. And then as we master our habits, we now are mastering our character. And our character is the directional or the director of our destiny, of where we go in this life. So if we can first master the thoughts, we can master where we're going in this life. Um, and, and have a very prof profound effect on where we go in this life. So it's important for us to garner our thoughts with positive things, nurture our thoughts with positive things. And when we recognize we have negative thoughts, deal with them, cleanse ourselves of them, and foster more positive thoughts as often as possible. That way we are beginning to create positive things for ourselves and we will create our own reality. Literally, we will create our own reality beginning with our thoughts. So that is the power of creation is, is our thoughts themselves. And then that brought me to the next principle, which is avoiding negative influences. Now, being understanding that power of thought, if you're constantly surrounded by negative influences, you will have constant negative thoughts. Again, that means broadcasting negative things, getting negative things to happen in your life. So one way to do that is understand the influences, um, the negative influences around you. And, and what are those negative influences? Those are going to be, again, news. It's going to be sometimes the media. It's going to be sometimes um, our entertainment. There's a lot of negative entertainment or dramatic entertainment out there. And we think that when we're sitting here watching this entertainment, that it has no effect on us. It's absolutely wrong. It's like us saying, okay, for two and a half hours or two hours, I'm going to go roll around in the dump and then get up and see how I feel. And sometimes that's two hours of streaming some show or movie or some entertainment. So we, we need to understand that what we allow in is also what comes out. So, that same principle from before, if we're a, a, a high-performance vehicle, let's say like a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, if we just pull up to the dump and start shoving things in our fuel tank, 
how long is that car going to keep running? Not very long. Eventually it's going to break down. It, and that's what we are all. We are all these high-performance, energetic vehicles. And I say energetic because everything is energy. We are energy. Everything is energy. And when we put ourselves near negative energy, no matter the form, whether it's social media, whether it is entertainment, whether it is politics or news, these negative influences impact us. The same way that if we put garbage in that Ferrari, it's going to impact that Ferrari. So recognize that and start eliminating the negative influences around you. That brings me to the ninth principle, which is understanding the purpose of evil. Understanding the purpose of these negative influences. What, are, what is the purpose? What is the end game for evil? And... The funny thing is, it's, a, it's beauty. We have to have evil to have good so that we can have a choice. Because without a choice, we don't grow. And that originally, when we were all in our home, there in heaven before we came here, that anything that the Creator wanted, we wanted. Because we are in such synchronization of love with our Creator. That love is so strong that anything the Creator wanted, we wanted. And for us to actually have free and independent thought, we had to step away from our Creator. We had to move out from home and move through a veil of forgetfulness because that love is so very strong that even the remembrance of that love would help control our decisions. And we wanted complete free agency, complete ability to make our own choices uninfluenced by that. And that's where we're going to grow the most. The same way that a, a, a teenager or a young adult has to move out from home for them to fully grow up and embody who they are, that's what we had to do. We had to move away from home. And that's the purpose of evil. Evil is just the, the, the gravity to, to um, the rise. The same way that, you know, if you go lift weights, the way that, that that weight helps make you stronger is by lifting it off the ground where gravity constantly pulls it. Um, well, the effort to rise or lift that weight is good, and the energy of pulling it down is bad. And it, They work together. It's, it's a beautiful yin and yang to each other. They only help each other and serve each other in our, our existence. So, um, yes, if God created Jacob's Ladder, the ladder that we want to climb to essentially get to heaven or go see, see God again. God created the top of the ladder, which would be love. God also created the bottom of the ladder, which would be fear or Satan or whatever you want to call it. And it, it's not that any aspect of that ladder is any less important than the other because they're both vitally important for our progress. And that, that brings me to the last principle and the tenth principle, and that is that we are all one that every single one of us um, are one finger on God's hand, every single one of us. So for us to harm another, we are to only harm ourselves. For us to hate another, we are to only hate ourselves. And most times when we hate another, that's just an outward expression of the hate we already carry within of oneself. So it's important for us to understand that as we serve another, as we love another, as we care for another, that is, in essence, how we are loving, serving, and caring for ourselves. 
is to do it outwardly first. And anything you lack in this life, if you would go and give that thing to someone else, you would feel fulfilled and feel that you are able to obtain that that you are missing. And, and that's the, the principle that we are all one. Um, we are all independent consciousness and we are all independent beings. But at the same time, as an essence, as a family, as an energetic family, we are all one. So it's important for us to embody that last principle. And at that point, I was starting to actually see heaven at, at this point. I saw this huge planet, um, much, much larger than our planet, way bigger than our planet, way bigger than our sun. I mean, you could fit probably a million of our Earths across the inside of this place. And there was no outside sun because light came from within everything there. And that's also what made the colors so different is as I'm touching down in heaven, I actually could see and feel that everything was so different there um, because it felt like the earth was almost like a copy or a miniature version of this real space. And so the time that we're here on earth and we're really glorifying God and glorifying the beauty of life that we see here, that's just a, um, a mirror image or a copy of the real um, potential that we have there in the heaven space. And so, yeah, I touched down and I got to touch down and, and feel this grass that to even describe grass there, I could talk for probably a day, at least a day. Um, this is just grass. And this is not the magic grass you smoke for those that think about that. But, <laughs> but really this is, this is it, it, like to, there was actual light coming from inside the grass. You could actually hear like a harmony or a music coming off of it. And each blade had its own tone. So together it was just like a symphony. And you, it, what's weird is even to touch it, you could taste it. You could taste the sweetness, the aroma of this grass. And at the same time, there was a, a consciousness in the grass. Now, in reflection later, I realized that consciousness that I was picking up everywhere was God, the creator that in, you know, this, this high loving consciousness that just exuded love for me, I felt like I was the VIP, but everybody is the VIP there. All of us are the VIP there. And I felt that I was so extremely loved. And I just kept feeling like I'm not worthy of this love. Like I, I didn't earn this amount of love. And I kept feeling the feeling that I didn't need to earn it, that it was there for me because I existed, because I was a creation of the Creator, because I was a son or daughter of God. I was one of the family of God. And so I began to embrace and love the, the connection, just the connection with this grass. And my guide, Drake, he, he's like, if you like the grass, look at the flowers. And, and so I, I didn't even realize there was flowers, too. And I almost, like, I almost exploded of tears the way that, that I reacted to to recognizing with my own consciousness, now there was flowers too that I could see. And the grass like lovingly coaxed my consciousness from the grass to the, to the flower. And instantly I was like zoomed in. I was, it felt like I was part of the flower. I was on the flower, almost like a, a bug or a beetle or something and experiencing it the way you, you need to experience a flower there. And there, it, it felt like there was rainbow flames inside the flower petals. Like, 
just flowing and moving and just so much light coming out of every petal. And the same thing is with the grass. It, every petal had its own tone, its own music, its own flavor. To even be near it, you could taste the flavor of, of this. And at the same time, it was part of this higher consciousness that just loved me and just loved all of us. And I, I just couldn't get over the beauty. I've never been a guy that just like grabbed a flower and was like, wow, pretty. That's just not me. But I couldn't get over the beauty that I was, uh, I was observing there. And because light comes from within everything, color is completely different. There's millions of colors there that we don't get here because light comes from within there. And, you know, modern TV now is, is getting closer. You're getting a lot more colors that you don't get in real life. But I'm telling you, it, it's life-changing for sure, just to even perceive the love that built these and, and created these flowers. And from there, I was allowed to know about that there was trees. And, and I didn't dive in and go visit the trees or anything, but then I was allowed to see um, water. And I was brought right to the edge of water. And water like touched like the tip of, of my toe or my foot. And it asked me if it wanted me, if it wanted if I wanted water on me. And I said, yes, like instantly. I, I just wanted to say yes to everything there because it was so full of love everywhere. And so water came on me. And as it was like climbing up my, my legs and my, my abdomen, my waist and going over my whole body, it was cleansing me. And it was weird. It was almost like a refiner's fire. I could feel it burning out any last little imperfections any last little self-judgment, um, self-loathing or, or self-unforgiveness that I had, it just cleansed me of those last little tidbits of imperfection I had in me. And at that point, I felt I came, I came out of that water, and that water didn't even make me wet, not even for a second. just very, felt very cooling and electrical, electrifying, and full of this, this tremendous amount of energy and love. And as it, it got done with me, it, it went back down into the little stream that it was coming from. And I knew I was a different person now. That from that day forward, I would be different. And in very important ways, I was going to be different now forever. And at this point, um, I started to notice this building. And I noticed that this bu entire building, I mean, huge building, like four or five stories tall, I felt very strongly it was the university. I kept getting the energy that it was the university, the place to learn. And I was seeing people go in and out of these rooms. They were learning. But they to get in the room, they would have to actually match the love consciousness or the love frequency of that room just to be able to enter. And as they would match that love, an opening would form. They would go inside to the, the classroom, and then the, the, the door would close. But it was... It was so really like life changing to see the excitement that everyone had there. And this is another weird aspect is there was people from our past, but there was people from our future there. So because there is no time, there's no such thing as time. And I stepped out of the time stream. There was literally people there that hadn't died yet, like from our far off future. So 
yeah, that's a, a, a brain tangler. <laughs> but, yeah, you're speaking but, my language. You can continue yeah. to keep it. I totally <laughs> but, uh, understand but, uh, the yeah. you know, time limit up there and the, like, for us, past, present, future happening all at the same time and then frequencies vibrating up, unconditional love. Like, this is one of my favorite conversations I've been able to just sit in front of and listen, and I love picturing <laughs> everything you're saying in my mind. <laughs> Well, I'm sitting here watching all this, and, and so much of what the learning going on in this university is about love and the power of love and all the different forms of love and, and, and really neat aspects of all of this. So I'm, I'm observing this, and I'm observing from a distance, and my guide's right by my side, and I, I want to go in and see more, but I'm not allowed. I can feel that it's, it's not my purpose to go through that university building but I was allowed to see and, and consciously connect to the building. The building itself was one piece of marble, the entire huge building. And it itself was, was opalescent, had light and flowing light, almost like a milky pearl substance inside the stone itself that glowed and moved. So it was like the, the building itself was not um, like the solid marble we have here is if you liquefied that marble and made it live, that's what it was there. It was living marble. And that inside the, the building itself, that consciousness that was running everything again was God. God was there too. And that all of these creations had God, like actual God there. And so I was connecting to God in all these different aspects of, of who God is, the everything, the creator, and that's when I, I felt this, this energy shift to my side. And I felt my guide, Drake, I felt his, his energy change because he knew something had to happen. And I saw his face like change too. Because when this all happened, I felt his change. I looked over and there he was. He was just lovingly looking at me, but he had like this, a little tinge of sadness in his eyes. And, and everything there is so well communicated because you don't use your mouth to speak. Everything is instant back and forth thoughts, back and forth thoughts. And I, and I, I remember feeling the question, like, what's, what changed? What changed? And right then, I began to hear this prayer being given to my body in the hospital. And it was a special prayer that my brother was giving to the body. And he began this prayer. It was a long one. He was going for a little bit. <laughs> and as he was giving this prayer, I looked over at my guy, Drake, and I said, what does this mean? And he looks at me, and he hugs me. And the hug's there. Like, there's no communicating how these feel, but I'll try. It was bringing, not just bringing our two essences together, but, like, coming together in communion and, and he gave me this hug of just immense love. Like, it was, for, it was so crazy because we, we each had our own glow. Like, because everything has light there. Even I had my own light. He had a much brighter light. But as he hugged me, my light matched his. And then together, our light, like, went four times brighter than either of our lights individually. And I just felt this, like, atomic flow of, of love and, and very strong energy between us. And I felt how, how sad he felt that he had to let me go, but it was supposed to happen. And 
<laughs> Sorry. You don't have to apologize. But, this is beautiful. <laughs> but I but I felt it so strong. Like I had to I had to let go. I had to follow what the higher path was. I had to follow the higher purpose. And right then, as soon as I said, I, I, I do, I have to follow the higher purpose, he said to me, Vinny, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And right then, my brother said amen to my prayer, to the prayer he was giving over my body. And the next moment, I know I woke up. I woke up out of a three-day coma. I was completely brain dead. Neurologists had no idea what was going on. They wanted to, to poke and prod me for hours after I woke up. They thought I was a fluke that somehow I woke up and I was just going to go back under and die. And then that happens. That happens to coma patients quite a bit, actually. They become conscious and then they die within 24 hours. But for me, I, I woke up and the next thing I know, I'm... I'm in this hospital. I have all these tubes and, you know, you can look at the back of the book has a picture of me on, you know, when I was on life support and I had all these tubes coming out of me everywhere, including a catheter. And I just yanked all that crap off of me. I felt so claustrophobic because not only the experience, but who we are as spiritual beings, who we are as eternal beings are like 10 times bigger than what we are here. So it was really hard to bring that form back into the physical form, mm -hmm. into this little minute form that we have here. And that was extremely hard for me. And I was super claustrophobic. I still struggle with claustrophobia. Here it is 20 years later. And I never had claustrophobia before, ever, mm -hmm. not until this experience. So I still struggle a little bit with it. And um, But, you know, I, I woke up, I yanked all the tubes and, and yanked all the the gear off of me, including the catheter, yanked everything out. And I just stood there, just taking deep breaths and, and realized that all these alarms are going off on all the equipment. So I unplugged everything. <laughs> I just didn't want any of that, that stuff mm -hmm. going off or near me. And so then I realized, oh, you're naked. And so I went and got a, like a gown that I found in the cupboard on the wall and wrapped around my middle section, and I just left. I walked out of the hospital bedroom, started, and I looked both ways. I could see, I saw this nurse over here. I saw she wasn't paying attention to me. So I, I went down to my right, which was this, this elevator corridor. I went down, made it all the way to the elevator when I heard a scream, and it was that nurse. She had gone in the room because her alarms, you know, had gone off. She went in the room, and there was nobody there. So her... Her mind, she's like, "Oh no, who stole who stole my body? You know, who stole the the dead body, the dead guy?" Oh That's gosh. what she was thinking. And uh, then she came out of the room and yelled for another nurse. The other nurse came. They were looking around. Then then they both came back out of the room and saw me just sitting there hitting the down button on the elevator. I was like hitting it really fast. And they both looked at me and they did they they both screamed. And at that point, I knew I had to. I knew that for, again. I had this weird new thing where. I could perceive things I never could perceive before, but I knew they would get in a lot of trouble if I left. And and I could have. I, I was very, the, the ding had just happened on the elevator. I could have, you know, um, left, but I didn't. I went back to them, let them, um, you know, do what they needed to do. I wouldn't let them put anything back in me. I let them put a little, a little thing on my finger for, I think, heartbeat or, or something. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't let him put anything back in my body. I was very strict about that because I was so claustrophobic. They tried, though. They did put, like, an IV back in, and I just pulled it right back out. Um, yeah, so I, I just couldn't have it. I, yeah, because they were going to want to keep you for a couple more days and then try to be like, what they the did. hell just happened? So they, in fact, that's exactly what the neurologist wanted to do. He wanted to keep me for 72 hours in observation just to do more tests, figure out what happened and how I was somehow alive but not alive and all of this stuff. So, you know, all of this was going on. Um, I was just fighting with them saying, nope, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And um, finally, after six and a half hours of that fight and about a phone book worth of release papers, and most of them liability release papers, mm -hmm. I was able to check myself out of the hospital. And, um, yeah, weird change of events with my insurance. Uh, because I wasn't following the recommendations of the doctor, they, they actually denied the claim. Um, and I'm glad that they did because that gave me financial proof, too, of my whole experience. You know, I have all the bills. I have all the life support stuff, the emergency stuff. I even have a, 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 or I had a piece of that body bag too. So it's like, um, you know, I was, I had the whole experience. That's not in debate. That's, that's all there in the record, the public record, you know? So it's like, uh, it, the, the experience itself is not for debate. The, the question is, is, um, you know, what happened when I died that, that is up for debate. And, and I'll tell you for a while after I came back, I had a very hard time with it. Because my mind is a very analytical mind, and I, be, I believe very strongly in science and physics and, and, and the known sciences, and none of those things completely explained what happened to me. Now, what's really cool, fast forward, um, quantum entanglement and quantum physics is actually explaining a lot of what happened to me now. So, so that's really cool that modern quantum theory um, especially working in the string realm, string theory and quantum entanglement, it, it explains a lot of what was going on to me and, and gives a, an explanation. But I still, I still, at the time, back when this happened, I doubted it. I, I had a neurologist tell me that my imagination would just make up anything to fill in the empty space. And so I needed to not trust what my imagination was putting in there. Now, here's the other thing, though. Now, all of a sudden, I sense things. I knew people's thoughts, not everybody, but I knew people's thoughts. I knew what was going on in their lives without them telling me. I sometimes knew I heard things from spirits, from spirits that are crossed over. And I had this, this complete other sensory organ that was alive that was not alive before my existence. Or if it, if it was alive, it was very weak before, and now it was very strong. And I think that's more true and more authentic to what really happened. But, but so now this is on really strong, and I'm seeing a doctor. I'm seeing the I'm seeing a head shrinker to, you know, to to figure out what's going on with my mind. And, you know, if you read the book, you you'll see one of the experiences where um, I I essentially was able to prove to the doctor that no, those those voices and those things that I hear are something that are real, something that even he had forgotten about from his own boyhood. So, um, you know, there there's some substantialness there. I. I didn't quite understand it yet, and seven months later, uh, I, I had met an earth angel. I had met a, a gal that really made life worth sticking around for, 
And I, this was actually two months after the events that my coming back, I met her and she, she helped me begin to live in my, my new authentic way, not my old ways of being self-serving, but my new authentic way of caring about family and such. And she, she highly encouraged me to go to this, this family reunion out in a little town in Wyoming called Afton, Wyoming. So we go out there. This is, this is again now seven months after the experience. And it's still debatable. It's still hearsay about what happened to me. And I, I talked about my guide, Drake, to many people. I talked about him extensively with, with my, my girlfriend, fiance at the time, which she ended up being my wife later. Um, and so she knew, she knew him. Essentially, she felt she knew him very well without even ever seeing a picture or anything of him. She knew, you know, she, she felt like she really knew who he was by my description because I'd been describing him for months now to her. We go to this little town in Wyoming. We see this, this, this high school presentation about the history of the town. And while they're doing that, up comes this big picture on a screen of my guide. And it was him, 100%, no doubt. I'm sitting there. I was not paying attention because that's sometimes what I do. <laughs> I was not paying attention. I was kind of in a, a meditation doing something else when um, my girlfriend, my fiance at the time, she, she grabs my shoulder and she goes, that's your guide. And I just remember sitting up and looking over and instantly I froze. I froze. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. Up is this picture, but here's the weird part. It says Charles Kazare underneath the name. Didn't say anything about Drake. And so I see the name, but I see the picture and I'm like, I don't care what the name says. That's my guide. I know that's my guide. And I, I couldn't speak at that point. I was emotional. I was like crying and that's not me. I don't like to cry. Um, and so I, I knew my grandmother was a Kazare and I figured it, it was a shot in the dark, but maybe she knew something about this Charles Kazare. So I went to my grandmother and I go, I go, grandma, have you ever heard of a man named Charles Kazare? And she literally responds with, oh, you mean great-grandpa Drake? Yeah, I can tell you all sorts of stories about him. So come to find out, his middle name is Drake, and that's what he went by. And he was a big deal back in the day, in the 1800s. And he was one of the founders of the town, one, or one of the, the first clergy of the town. He has an extensive history in the, in the state of Wyoming in, in helping... Um, the people of Wyoming and serving them in different capacities. And it was really an amazing experience to now have my first confirmation that or I, I should say my second confirmation. My first was with the, the doctor, but the, my second confirmation that my experience was real, that here's a man I never saw once in my entire life. I had never heard his name one time in my life and somehow that was part of my experience. There was no way for my subconscious or conscious to grab that element and just make it up. So it really helped me through that process. And, and it's helped hone in my, my skill and my ability to speak to spirit now. Because, you know, knowing that it was real and that this whole experience that I'm having with spirit is real, it took a while. It took, took a good amount of time I, to embody it and, and, get better at speaking to the spirit. So that's what I, I did. And, um, you know, later 
we got the opportunity to move to Wyoming for a short period and take care of my grandmother right at the end of her life. She didn't want to move out of her home. So while we were there taking care of her, I got to see this, this document that she had that she had inherited from her family that documented um, the divine life path of this Drake Kazare. And it, it, it was a special blessing that was given to him, a special prayer that was given to him. And it talked about two paragraphs about the important works that he was going to do in this physical life. And then it did an entire page to a page and a half more of, of words, uh, just talking about his duties in the afterlife, in the life after here. And one of his duties was to be an escort or a guide to loved ones and those who call on him to, to help them make the great transition, make the, they, they referenced or worded it as the great or the last transition or the greatest transition. And um, so here was another confirmation that even in his lifetime, it was foretold of what he was going to be doing in the afterlife. So, you know, I don't share my experience to try to convince anybody. I don't share my experience to convert them to my belief system or to even convert them to Christianity because I am Christian. But I'll tell you that I know for a fact God exists from my experience. I know for a fact that the Creator cares about every single one of us. I know for a fact that there's an entire system just uh, pumped full of love for us. And that's what we exist in right now. And that this love that God has for us is so great. And if we could, if we could feel even a, <laughs> a blade of grass of this love, like we would, we would change the way we would live forever. So it's important for us to have that faith that we know that God does love us and that all this does make sense, even the hardest of times and the hardest of days, that it will all be worth it on the back end that this journey of souls is, is in an earth school, and that's it. We're just here to learn. So learn. Have fun with your learning. Make it great. Make, you know, create your, your reality and, and begin with your thoughts. And, um, and that's my experience. <laughs> so in, in a nutshell, that's in my experience. In a nutshell, that's your experience. <laughs> so usually um, I have, like, I have questions that I'll interject or – I'll like to like pull things apart that we talk about if it's like when you started talking about like frequencies and all of that. I know that's not really a beginner concept for some people. That is the language yeah. that I speak because um, I, I speak energy, I study energy and I love energy. So like I was right on point with it. But every time I kept having a question that I was going to ask you, um, I just kept my mouth shut because you would answer it in the next like two to three to five minutes down the line. <laughs> so all the questions that I would actually interject and ask you, um, you, you answered everything and more in the story. And as you're just telling the story, I'm just like, I'm standing there with you, with Drake, going to all of these places and understanding even experiences that I've had. Um, I had an experience where I put on a really, really good meditation. I did some heavy breath work and like my intention was to, you know, meet up with my people and just 
get some clarification with them because I've been um, on and off communicating with them for about four years now. And mm-hmm. um, I remember um, I talked to one of them. She had really cool blue hair, and I know that she's a like a past life connection. And um, she grabbed my arms really quick, and she said, I don't have much time with you. She's like, you have to elevate your frequency. Do you hear me? It's love. It's love. It's unconditional love. And then I came back down into my body, and my meditation had ended. And I, I know... Luckily, like I didn't have to have the experience that you did to get all of that, but through my own experiences alone and all the things that my logical brain still needs the science and the physics and the grounding on it, that just hearing yours alone, like you validated a lot of things that that inner critic still wants to come in and somehow criticize and pull me away from the knowing that I already have. So, I mean, I... I'm mesmerized and completely captivated by your story. I mean, I just kept like nodding my head and my eyes just kept getting bigger and it was just like confirmation after confirmation (laughs) after confirmation. And, um, you know, I love, um, you're talking about claircognizance, like knowing the um, premonitions and all of that. I love studying all the senses in general. I think we have like the ones for the human bodies and one for the spiritual vessel. Uh, and I was lucky enough to tap into all of them when I had my awakening four years ago. And um, mine would be called a Kundalini awakening is what people can kind of Google. Greg Braden calls it an Akashic remembering because you're peeling those layers back of yourself that actually are you. So mm-hmm. um, even when you said like who you were at four, five and six, like that's authentically you. And that makes yeah. so much sense to me as well because a lot of the... Um, trauma training that I went through was connecting with your inner child again and meditating with each version of yourself and going and finding who you were before anybody got to you. And then when I found that girl before eight years old, I really started tuning in and tapping into her because she was teaching me how to really tap into that love that I always was before I had to shield myself and mask myself and protect myself more. So even as you're reading through all of the principles, I'm just like, yes, yes. And all these experiences are <laughs> popping up in my head. And um, I know you definitely had a lot of trauma happen to your body um, while you were in it and while you were out of it. But when, yeah. when you were describing heaven and the grass and the flowers and even the knowing that you had to come back and how sad it was when, you know, he hugged you and you woke up. I mean, that story alone, I just think is transformational, transformational for anybody, no matter what their belief system is. Um, I'm extremely open-minded. I just choose to believe in everything um, in the best way, but the separation from creator, the learning and, you know, the evolution of your soul, so to speak, and just truly that we are all connected in unconditional love is the one thing that we all miss the most, miss the most, but we're all able to actually tap into individually. Yeah. I just, I think that your whole story encompasses all the things that I have been studying and still continue to study and look for and piece apart and, you know, provide in this podcast to give people you know, like a catalog of stories that whatever part of their journey they're on, um, we have a story for you. But yours encompasses such a great guidebook and such a great story. And I know you said like some parts of it are boring, but I think every detail of it is supremely captivating. 
And I'm just so thankful awesome. for you coming on the show because, I mean, yeah, I could I could go off into everything that I saw in my head. Um, but I will tell you, I'm really sad that we actually didn't record this on video because as you're talking about heaven, you had a bunch of white lights and orbs flying all over your ceiling and through you and around you. And I don't know. If yeah, you that's pay attention it's actually com- it's common. Like I've I've gotten a, a consistent um response of that uh when people watch watch recordings of me telling it they do they they see like uh, like physically see with their physical eyes yeah. orbs and and all sorts of lights i had one gal tell me last week that i had light coming out of my fingers when i was like describing you know yeah. certain things so that's cool I, I always look at it as that's a little symbol from heaven that i'm on my right path i'm continuing to do what i'm supposed to do and and then I have my inner confirmations too that they're always giving me. But I like the outward confirmations. Yeah, it's just nice sure. to to get the confirmation from inside and outside. Yeah. I listen to my Claire audience all the time, um, and I like to describe it as the scientific format. It just because I think we we all have these. They've been suppressed or you know somehow just covered up in a way. But we're all able to tap into all of those um, spiritual senses. I like to call them. I guess. And Mm -hmm. as you're explaining their story, uh, somebody came in and said, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And we're really proud. And then that's when the lights started lighting up behind you. Yeah. And they they just said, I have a really strong ego and my ego has been preventing me from doing this for a long time. So I appreciate that confirmation because it is, it's scary to, to share a story like this. It, it's really weird because it it really resonates with the higher self of most people mm-hmm. but there's this small percentage when they hear it it upsets them it angers them yeah. and it's because it it especially if they're someone who tends to be more on the the prejudice side of things mm-hmm. and they feel that they are prejudiced because god is prejudiced that's what they believe mm-hmm. and and so they hear this story they hear my experience they hear the heartfeltness of it and it even makes them more angry and so some people, it really pulls out a dark side of them. Yeah. But a good majority, I'd say around 98% of people, they hear this. It helps them connect to something there that they love, that they like, that, that helps them more embody the, the love of God or the love of Creator. But one thing I saw very strongly there is that if you look into our future far enough, you see our past. So that, that, that we've been here before like this cycle of technology and and remembering and connecting to spirit. And if you go towards our future, we have a stronger connection to spirit and not through technology, through intuition, through direct connection, but even with technology, technology makes, makes that, that ability even easier because there's a way to, to proof check certain things that you get through intuition. So um, yeah, that was really neat though to uh, hear you give me a little confirmation that um, I'm glad that spirit's proud because it is, it's a little weird. I've lost some friends over it, but at the same time, I know there's a higher purpose. Even if I lose a, lose mm-hmm. a friend here and there um, uh, over it. Yeah. It just always goes back to all the frequency, right? Like you're going to vibrate at a certain level and people fall away that you don't want to lose, especially when you understand how precious life is on earth. And I think we're so busy thinking that we have all this time and then somebody dies and we're like, oh no, like we better love each other more and spend more time together. But there are people that um, I really hope and pray that they 
they vibrate back into my life somehow that we're compatible to be together again and they're able to open their minds like I am um, yeah. because we we don't have we have linear time you know but we don't really have as much as we want so the awakening yeah. the growth in it really is lonely in a sense but you do find that there are people waiting for you at every level there and and you know what there's some really neat things coming in our near future for this planet where we're going to come back to community we're going to lean away from te technology and lean lean more towards community and um, as we do that there's some great changes that are going to happen for us and and it's all beautiful it is and there will be a time where we're going to be holding to that community and loving it and thinking wow the trade-off was so worth it mm -hmm. to go through the little bit of speed bumps or hardships we have to go through to get there. It's so worth it. And we need to keep that in mind as, as certain events happen, as scary thing, you know, quote unquote, scary things happen by the news standards. We need to gut check those things. Well, the false and, things and, will fall away, right? The things that aren't, exactly. of, the creator, aren't of the highest good, they're going to fall away and it will look scary to all of us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's going to be really beautiful. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for it. Yeah. yeah. Vinny, it was so, so great to meet you. Again, one of the yeah, you too, Cheyenne. stories. I really, really enjoyed meeting you. And for anybody listening, this is all in a book for you besides any of the other interviews he's done and definitely what he's told us today on our podcast. It's called Life After Death, My Journey to Heaven and Back. I've got my copy. I'm going to start reading it, and I'll definitely... Definitely be doing some of my excerpts on TikTok, so look out for those. Sweet. And again, thank you so much. Before we get off here, yeah. I have music from Vitality Exposed. She's going to bring us, kind of funny that the title of the song is called Better Luck Next Life, because I do intuitively pick these about five minutes before each guest, and they'll tell me what <laughs> part of the song to That's play. That's awesome. Um, so it's from one of my favorite uh, performers. His name is Unlike Pluto. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give y'all a little sneak peek of that song. Definitely want to check it out on your own. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.